Parts? O'Reilly Auto Parts has parts. Need them fast? We've got fast. No matter what you need, we have thousands of professional parts people doing their part to make sure you have it. Product availability. Just one part that makes O'Reilly stand apart. The professional parts people. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. Recorded live. On May the 22nd, 2016, from Coolidge, Arizona. And my, we've got folks from all across the country plugged in today. But not all of the folks plugged in from around the world, or we wouldn't be able to handle them all. We're in uh, Acts chapter 5, but we have two things that were left over from last Sunday the class, two things, and uh, two questions. Uh, One was um, more of a reaction to what I had said about Lucifer, and I want to clarify that. And then the second one was a a question regarding um, in 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 20 and 21. So the first one is I'm going to... I'm going to talk about Lucifer, because when you hear the word Lucifer, what or who do you think about? Yeah. All right. Uh, did you hear that? Uh, Alex says uh, that you people usually think about the devil. Well, I, I said last week that the word Lucifer is never in reference to the devil. Uh, <clears throat> the word, now here it is from the critical lexicon. Daystar, as it is uh, in, in the, uh, the text in Second Peter chapter 1, verse 19, is what stirred this. Uh, in the New Testament, uh, it means the light bringer, the morning star. In the Latin, the Latin has it as Lucifer. The star, the title of star is applied, and I'm reading right from the lexicon, is applied to Christ under various aspects. And um, it cannot here refer to the conversion of the sinner, for prophecy is not given as a light until this takes place. Um, and I guess that, and there's Second Peter 1.19. That's what spurred this question, is because the, I, the word day star is referring and applied to Christ here, and it's the word that's translated in Isaiah as Lucifer, Isaiah chapter 14 and verse 12. And the lexicon here says that in the Latin, Lucifer, that's what the word Lucifer means, is the light bringer. So how could it possibly be referring to the devil? You think about that. So in the Old Testament, the only reference being in Isaiah 14, 12, where Lucifer is used, depending on your translation, of course, um, is referring to whom? You may not know. Uh, but if you went back there, you would refer, you would see that it's referring to the king of Babylon as the um, light giver. 
to the nation of Babylon. So Nebuchadnezzar was referred to as Lucifer. The devil, nowhere, and this is a statement that I made last week that I had a reaction to, is that nowhere in the Bible does Lucifer ever refer to the devil. But that's how we've been conditioned to think. Right? Okay. Enough said on that. Number two. In verses 20 and 21 of Second Peter 1, I'm not going to take a lot of time for exegesis here because I want to get into uh, our back to our text in Acts chapter 5. But here he is speaking of, in verse 20, he's been talking throughout this of apostolic authority. And now he's saying that the Old Covenant illustrates what's happening under the New Covenant. That is, the Old Covenant prophets did not speak or create their message, but it had come from God to their spirit, and they proclaimed out of their spirit that proclamation. And the point being in verse 20 that no prophecy of the scriptures, referring to the Old Testament, by the way, and we, we see that uh, coming up in the next verse. Um, and, and the word private there is really the word individual, that no prophecy of the scripture or of scripture of writing, and the only thing they had in writing at this point, at this point, at this point, when, Paul, when Peter is writing to his audience, there was no New Testament in writing yet. At least collectible writings. So he's talking about the Old Covenant confirmed in the next verse, and we'll get to that, of any private or meaning individual exposition. And the word interpretation gives us a, a slant there that I would like to have us move away from. He's talking about the exposition of Scripture or the creation of, uh, of Scripture. It did not come uh, from telling God what he wanted or what he meant. It's from explaining what it is God told them about what he had said. That's a big difference. So in verse 20, then when he talks about uh, of any scripture, of any private interpretation, he's talking about private means no one individually created the message or what the message meant if it were from God. They told it straight. Verse 21, because then he gives the principle that for the will of man, it did not come, the the exposition of revealed message did not come by the act of human creativity or by the, by the act of human will in old time. And the word old time there is referring to the old covenant. But that these men were moved in their spirit when God spoke and they moved and spoke from that and the word the word the word moved is um, really means to be 
born rather than moved and uh, or birthed. In fact, um, um, Robert's literal translation reads it, not by the will of man did ever prophecy come, but, but by Holy Spirit born on holy men or birthed on holy men. So here, here you have the man whom God chose birthed in spirit to be able to receive God's message and then be enabled to speak it. So the word moved that was raised by, uh, I think, Lana, uh, really is not a good term there. It means to be, to be birthed or born. So he's talking about the spirit of the holy man. Not God's spirit, but the spirit of the man were born or birthed, as uh, the better translation of that word translated in most translations as, as were moved. You see, it, it's a participle. It's descriptive, not of what happened to God or what was happening to God, but what was happening to the man. See, that's the issue. It's descriptive of them, not of God. And it's talking about their spirit, their spirit having been made holy, as our spirits are to be made holy. And so the word moved there uh, has a questionable implication that really should be the word born or birthed. Okay. Any questions on that? The, the by is there. Uh, hoopa, hoopa. I think is uh, that's the only place that it's used anywhere. Um, hoopo, um You see, among or by? Yeah. From. So God's truth revealed to holy men. God's truth re, uh, revealed to holy men, and it gave birth. And in that birthing, of course, you know, birth means release. So if, our, so if our spirit, if Nolan's spirit loves the same things as God's spirit and acts upon the same things as God's spirit would in the same way, then Nolan's got the Holy Spirit. You get the Holy Spirit. And it's being birthed by your expression of it. Old Testament or New. That's right. And, and, that's, and of course, here he's speaking specifically of the Old Covenant. That's right. So that... And prophecy, you know, it's... That's right. ...displayed by the Father to, to these men who to enable he them chose as messengers. Because they could have altered the message. They could have changed that Jesus was not going to be born in Bethlehem, but was going to be born in Tiberia. Could have, they could have changed that. What would have happened then in the fulfillment? Would have waxed it all inappropriate. I think there probably would have been correction on God's part. Prior to that. Yeah. So when it says that there, there, there there's just there, there's no uh, individual work 
going on in the creating of God's message. Man does not create what it is that God has to say. But men, and uh, another way of putting that is uh, men born or carried by spirit are the men that God used to speak through. And that might make it clearer to some of you. It's a complicated verse, no matter how you cut it, and there's lots of opposition to it, but I've, I've tried to cut through as much of it as I can. So men born and carried, or carried, men born or carried by the Spirit. Not a separate entity, but by the, but their Spirit particularly, but if it were God's spirit, it still would not be a separate entity. It would be who God was speaking through men as they were, whose spirit had been made holy. All right, number three. Those are we've dealt we've dealt with Lucifer, and uh, we got him, and, and why we made the reference to the fact or the idea that it's most of the time referring to Christ, never is it referring to the devil. You know, David, that comment you made about the prophets, the what if, the list of what ifs is endless. Isn't it? That is. What ifs go on and on. Yeah, yeah. Right to, to May 22nd, 2016. Yeah. If. If. That's the biggest word in the Bible. If you'll never fall, if so, there's a condition. But then, of course, all of God's promises have strings attached. All of them. That's what the if is for. In its application to what has already taken place. All right. Let's go to Acts chapter five and verse twenty. Because this is a summary of where we've been for the last four weeks. We've been reading about apostolic authority. that The, the apostles in, in the New Covenant had been appointed by Christ as the executors of his will. They were enabled to speak all of the things concerning to this life in Second Peter chapter 1, which we've read the whole chapter, and we've just finished up on it and its contrast with the Old Covenant as well. So you go in verse 20 and stand and speak to the te- in the temple to the people all the words of this life. And now we understand that the apostles of whom he's speaking here, we've, we've determined that, were able to do that. They could speak all the words pertaining to this life. They got it right the first time. Everything was right to begin with. So that's why, folks, since they had... They began with everything right. That's why we go back to them, because they had it right. And if we want to get it right, where then do we have to go? Back to them. That's pretty simple. If I can get it, anybody can get it. So you go, verse 20, go stand, speak in the temple to the people all the words of this life. 
Now we know how they were able to do that. We went, we went back, we read John chapter 14, John chapter 15, John chapter 16, John 17. How, how God was going to enable Christ was telling the apostles or disciples yet at that time how they were going to be enabled to do what they are now doing in Acts chapter 5, verse 20. In first P, uh, Second Peter chapter 1, we talk about it having taken place and how it took place, and it was through the apostles. So folks that ought to settle that issue once and for all, it probably won't, but it should. It'll come up again. So let's go to verse 21. And now when they heard that, They ran far, far away. Oh, we've got to get out of here. We've got to get out of Dodge. Who's the they? the ones who had just been told by the angel to go and Nolan has been real clear that if he ever had an angel talk to him not only would he not do what that angel said but he would still be running and he would probably clear the moon the first try by the way Thursday night, that was a beautiful picture of that motorcycle. That gold BM, BMW? BSA. I don't know the difference. Okay. One's German, one is English. Okay. I should have known that. No, I don't want to be forgiven. I, I, like, to have, I like that guilt level. But that was a beautiful bike. I was thinking about that this week. Men are capable of doing extraordinary things, David. And, you know, that's exactly what that thought was leading, led me to while I was sitting in my chair thinking yes. about that picture. Yes. Isn't it amazing, looking at that work of art, extraordinary talent, what men. men can do, yes. and they're incapable of understanding thou shalt? Absolutely. It doesn't make, doesn't, it's just not true. Right. See, I, I don't buy it either. Oh, you just can't buy it. Men are so capable, men and women, I'm thinking mankind, are so capable. We are capable of having everything. Well, everybody's different, so everybody has a different way of expressing that. And we need everybody. You know, the, Paul, Paul tells uh, the church, you, um, in 1 Corinthians, you need everybody. Everybody has a part of the body. And just because the foot smells, you don't cut it off. Now, you might, but... Your words, speaking of things like that, when we look at images or even objects like that with our own eyes, but that kind of machine contains no lies. Its builders didn't lie once. And therein lies its worth. Well, you can see that it all fits together. If it, if it was built as, as most of our theology, 
it would be a contortion of of um, misfit conglomeration. Beautifully put together. Well, it's, it's a, a great lesson. No way, no way out of it. It's just a great lesson. When you see what man can accomplish when he got, gets everything together and gets it right, um, it's just, um, and so, so is life. And we can, our lives need to be like that as well. That means you've got to shape up. Working on <laughs> All right. So, but all the words of this life, they begin to speak. And they went, they went in, and, and you, you go in and you do this. So they went in, in verse 21, into the temple. That was the, that was the place that where people were gathered. In the very temple that was soon going to be, in 40 years, was going to be destroyed. Now, folks, you've got to begin to plug that into this book of Acts now. You've got to begin to think of it in terms of what Jesus said in Matthew 24 when the disciples, these same disciples who are talking here, asked Jesus, what will be the what is the sign that will give us a clue as to what you're talking about when he says that there won't be one stone left upon another? We've got to begin thinking now as we work our way through this book that that's what's the immediate mountain ahead of all of the recipients of the message. Paul goes to Corinth, Paul goes to Ephesus, Paul goes to Galatia. All of those cities, all of them, the one thing they saw was that mountain looming ahead of them. And they couldn't see anything beyond it because the big mountain was what they had in their mind as coming to uh, concerning the fall of Jerusalem and the destruction of the temple see we've missed that because we've skipped it and yet when Malachi writes and I'm picking up a little bit from Revelation I'm sorry about that but when, Rev- but when Malachi writes he writes about John the Baptist coming who was going to be known as Elijah that's how he calls him because that was their identity they would have had no identity with John the Baptist at that point so he writes in who was going to be representative of Elijah. And then he skips over the entire ministry of Jesus and jumps right into the great and terrible day of the Lord, which is the fall of destruction of Jerusalem. And that's the last thing we're left with for 400 years. And so the first thing on the scene was what Malachi had predicted, and that would be the coming of John the Baptist. And then he says to those people who are coming to him, who has warned you to flee from the day of wrath? So there again, the focus of that mountain. But he was going to intervene with someone, the Son of God, who was going to give us something that would go beyond that mountain. And that's why we have in the circle on the board up here, the book of Revelation has boundaries. All the things that are prophesied there happen within the terms of that boundary. But there are things that go beyond that. But they're not prophetic. They're conditions and state of being 
that are created by what happens in the book. That's why we've drawn those lines through. So, here we have, they heard that, they entered into the temple. They didn't run. They had just come out of jail. They had just been released from prison. And and the angel said, now, you have, you have. We can't count on anybody else. We can't pull the Pentecostal preacher down. You go and you stand and speak in the temple because that's where the people will be who need to hear your message. And you talk to those people about all the words of this life. They heard the order. They went to the temple after having just come out of prison for having done what they were told to do again. I don't either. Yeah. Well, and then the angel tells them to go right back in and start doing what it is that got you in jail the first time. Their words after after they were released were, you know, their prayers were pretty pointed because they knew they were going into the thick of it now. They had already seen Christ crucified. He was never jailed before he was crucified. Days earlier. You know, a couple months. David? Yeah. So that's why I read it to begin with. They scampered away and went into their little rabbit hole and hid. You know, that's what I love. There's a little place that I go walking up in Washington, and there's a lot of little uh, prairie dogs. When you park your your rig and get out, you can see them. And, you know, their heads are all sticking up with their little mounds all over. But as soon as you make any motion, whoosh, where'd they all go? They're goners. You know, they 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 dived into their hole and they're, they're well hidden. Well, the apostles didn't do that. They had such they had, they had such courage because they had confidence in the message. The source of their message gave them the confidence to say, well, we can put our lives on the line because we understand this thing's true. It's real. We've been eyewitnesses. And now we, can, we have that conveyed to us. So they went early in the morning. And they taught. Now this means to present something in order, logically. It's ideas that are put together in some form that can be grasped by the human mind. Sometimes that takes pictures. It takes pictures to do that. And so the authors sometimes give us pictures. 
but they taught. That should be the function of the church. I'm going to make everybody mad right now. I could do away with almost everything we do in our assembly. I could do away with all the music. And if you're going to have music, which is okay, but it's not required in the New Testament, you can't find anywhere in the New Testament where they had congregational singing. It doesn't exist. Oh, everybody said, oh, Ephesians, you know, and Colossians. That has nothing to do with congregational singing. That has to do with what you're doing at home, not the church assembly. But if you're going to do it, it's got to be planned. And maybe less frequently, maybe once a month, to where it's well planned. Greg over there puts together a song list laboriously it's a, it's a terrible job weekly to do very mundane but you know something the problem with it is there's no enthusiasm and enthusiasm makes it is a decision that people make that if we're going to sing I'm going to put everything I got into it it's hard to do when you can't hear it it's hard to do when Yeah. Jerry here, that all of that turns around. All flips the other side of the coin. Yeah. Uh, whoever's here today. Oh, the whole thing. Isn't that um what's his name? John? Um, Mark. 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 Yeah. Doesn't that make a difference? It makes a big difference. The enthusiasm that is built into the person doing the groundwork or the accompaniment makes all the difference. But, you know, there's nothing that says we have to do that all the time. But my point is, whether, however you feel about that, that's one of the nice things about choirs. They're usually prepared. I've got some tapes of the, the choir at 4th Street. And there's some, I think maybe they got broken. But some of that's beautiful stuff. Um, and um, uh, remember the, the uh, song leader's uh, name right now. <coughs> Saw something on watching the History Channel one night or something years, many years ago, back when the History Channel was still good. That's what someone told me about some soldiers who were trapped in a foxhole, and they were trapped. It was in Europe somewhere, and they they thought they were goners, and all they had, you know, but they they in those in that dark hour, <laughs> one of them said. This is exactly what we came here for. This is, there's no higher honor than where we are. And they began singing hymns, hymns that they knew as, that they had learned as young men. Yeah. 
And, and, and then one of them, who was a very old man being interviewed, he said, it's never been the same for me singing, going to church and singing since that. That was, yeah. that was like, we're singing, we're getting ready to meet our maker. Yeah. And they thought, they really thought they were, and so they, they, they uh, it was a moving thing for them. They did, they did live, but it changed them forever, as it would anyone, David, don't you agree? Oh. You know, when you're facing the unknown like that. Yep. I wanted to uh, add one more thing, and it doesn't, you know, I'm not sure how meritous it is, but we have a group, uh, one of the gals that works in Office Max, in the printing department of Office Max, belongs to a little, uh, well, they have over a thousand. But they're a split off from Cornerstone just up the block from Chandler Christian, same same street, Alma School. They had a 1,000 people break off of that church because they got tired of the music. And they go to where there is no music. Well, I'm not sure that's right, but... No, they broke off from the Cornerstone Church, just up from where the Chandler Christian Church is. And the... Uh, Cornerstone churches are, you know, probably three or four thousand more than the other Christ- Chandler Christian church, and it has two or three thousand. So they broke off, and they meet in a school building, over a thousand of them in an auditorium, school auditorium, and they have no music. Well, I'm not sure that's right either. But they, they're, at, but they, they go and they do only a Bible study. I'm sure there are some things about that that I don't know. But that's what she told me, and she goes there. So she told me what she, how she saw it. But she said, we got tired of going to uh, a church and, had a, and having a concert. We didn't go to church to have a concert. Said, well, yeah, that's pretty mature. That's pretty mature. But that doesn't mean the concert is wrong. I'm, you know, I, I'm not quite an, I'm not an either-or thing on that. But anyway, when they went into the temple that morning, early in the morning, there were folks there. And there were folks there apparently willing to be taught. And they taught. And they taught. We don't know how long. Some details are left out. We don't need to know them except that they taught. And they taught things according to what the angel had told them to teach, all of the things pertaining to life. In verse 20. We're in verse 21. Now, the, in, middle, in the middle of that verse, the high priest came. And they were with him, and, that, and those that were with him. And they called the council together. And all the senate of the children of Israel. And they sent to the prison to have these guys who are already in the temple teaching brought out of the prison that they'd already been brought out of, and these guys didn't know it. You get kind of the idea there that these guys should have been in the audience listening, and they would have known. 
It means that, you know, they were too good to be taught. And the point that I would like to emphasize there, that whenever you quit being a learner, you have no business being a teacher. Did that get that settled? Did that settle down? So they came. They called the council together and the senate of the children of Israel and sent to the prison to have them brought. Verse twenty-two. And when the officers came and found them not in the prison, oops. They returned and told. Now, we've got a story. Verse 23. They had a message. They'd gone to the prison to do what they had been told to do. The apostles had gone to the temple to do what they had been told to do. The officers now had gone to the prison to do what they were told to do. But when they got there... What was wrong? The apostles who they went to release weren't there. So they came back with a message in verse 23 saying, The prison truly found we shut with all safety. What does that suggest? Yeah, there'd been no escape. And all the keepers standing without before the doors. They hadn't been mobbed. But when we had opened, of course, I'm reading from the King James, and I wish I was following you, but I, I need to keep my eye on the inner, inner linear here. But when we had opened, we found no man, no man within. If you put yourself into the standpoint of these officers, you've got to have some emotion in that. They were just doing what they were told to do, right or wrong. So verse 24, now when the high, by the way, we're really making time today. Now when the high priest and the captain of the temple and the chief priest heard these things, what things? the things that had just been told to them by the officers in verse 22 and 23. They doubted of them whereunto this thing, this, this would grow. Where, where, where is this going to go? They're not in there. Then in verse 25, then came one and told them, we got a squealer. You know, in, in, a, in a way, there is a place for that. But as a parent, I never did it. I had five children. I never allowed them to ever squeal on the other kids. Whatever you do, don't come to me with a story about one of the other, one of your brothers or sisters. I didn't want them to become tattletales. 
if you get to making them. They they'll then you get them started, they start milking them. That they were going to be good at it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, you know, you'd just be surprised that there isn't much goes on that mom and dad don't really know. But you don't want your kids becoming tattletales. You don't want folks in the church to become tattlers. I've been in places where every time anybody knew anything, they want to come tell the preacher. Well, why do you want to tell him? I don't like that. I don't want to be told about everybody's, you know, toenail. It turns into gossip. Third, fourth, fifth, sixth hand. I don't. We don't need to do that. Just don't need to do that. There's a time when you can know things, and, and um, most of the most of the time, those things are just not relevant at all. But sometimes that's encouraged. Sometimes parents encourage their kids. You know, if you see your brother doing this, you come tell me. Well, you teach the kids to do the right thing, and then. You don't tell them to squeal. Don't become squealers. Bible talks about that. We don't do that. And sometimes that's even encouraged in the church. We don't encourage that here. In other words, the first principle of our is you mind your own business. You do, I mean, the second law. The summary of that is that you mind your own business. You do not infringe on another person or their property. You mind your own business. That means two things. You do what you ought to be doing, and you don't get yourself in other people's business. That's a hard thing to learn. The Bible has to address that several times, even in the New, even in the New Testament. So in verse 25, oh, wow. Then came one and told them, saying, Behold, the men whom you put in prison are standing in the temple and teaching the people. We've got to leave it there, folks. Our time is up. So here, what do we have? We have the man who had been put in prison, who were the apostles, released by the angel, told to go back into the temple and teach the things pertaining to life the leaders of Israel of the temple have found them now in the temple teaching standing there and teaching the people, doing the very thing they had been instructed not to do, but now they were there doing it. And that verse says that there is a point, there is a time, when we must obey God rather than man. Let's pray. Father, we are thankful for your word and for the record that we have of, of how your church began. 
and even the struggle, the struggles and, and the troubles that were there. But there was always someone to rise above that and to keep doing the right thing. And may we be a part of that gang. In Jesus' name, amen.